I have more to say about my concerns with religion. The traditional style of religion especially. 40 ways religious Christianity poisons the world. The truth of a religion can be evaluated at least in part by the consequences resulting from its practice. A true religion designed by an omnipotent God would be expected to produce benevolent, productive results, especially if it was practiced by a large segment of society. Religious Christianity, as well as other religions, fails this test. Here below is a list of 40 ways that religious Christianity makes our world a worse place to live. Number one, the discouragement of rational critical thought. That makes me feel anger. Number two, vilification of homosexuality and transgenderism, resulting in discrimination, parents disowning their children, murder, and suicide. That makes me feel annoyance. Number three, women and girls are treated like second-class citizens based on religious teachings. That makes me feel contempt. Number four, children growing up to hate and fear science and scientists, scholars and scholarship, because science and scholarship disproves their parents' religion, leading to appalling scientific illiteracy and appalling scholarly illiteracy. That makes me feel disgust. Number five, tens of thousands tortured and killed as witches, a practice which still continues today. That makes me feel irritation. Number six, people aren't making the most of this life because of their belief in an afterlife. That makes me feel anxiety. Number seven, people dying because they believe their faith makes them immune to snake venom or other lethal aspects of reality. That makes me feel agitation. Number eight, people dying and letting their children die because their religion forbids accepting medical help of any kind and all kinds. That makes me feel aggravation. Number nine, people choked, starved, poisoned, or beaten to death during exorcisms. That makes me feel exasperation. Number 10, genital mutilation of babies endorsed by religious texts. That makes me feel frustration. 
Number 11. Psychological and physiological conditions blamed on demons preventing believers from seeking medical care for themselves and their children. That makes me feel outrage. Number number 12. People disowning family members for leaving their religion. That makes me feel fury. Number 13. Friendships and romances severed or never started over religious differences. That makes me feel hurt. 14. Quote-unquote absence-only sex education resulting in five times the amount sexually transmitted diseases and teenage pregnancies often leading to ill-fated, quote-unquote, emergency marriages. That makes me feel revulsion. Number 15. Women having septic abortions or being forced to have unwanted children they resent because religious organizations have gotten laws passed making abortion illegal are inaccessible. That makes me feel dismay. 16. Censorship often destructive of speech, art, books, music, films, poetry, songs, and if possible, thought. That makes me feel unhappiness. Number 17. The demonization of other religions, especially as an example, Christianity demonizing pagans and Christianity demonizing secularists, calling them all devil worshipers. That makes me feel sorrow. Number 18. Children spending the period of their lives when the brain is most receptive to learning new information, reading, rereading, and even memorizing religious texts from the standpoint of mind games, mind control, and ultimately psychological trauma. That makes me feel despair. (sighs) Number 19. People who believe the world is about to end neglect their education, are not financially responsible in extreme cases, take part in mass suicides. That makes me feel agony. Number 20, long-term environmental issues ignored because of beliefs that the rapture slash apocalypse or something will happen soon, so they don't matter. That makes me feel anguish. Number 21, 
Wives told they will be tortured forever if they leave their abusive husbands and vice versa. That makes me feel distress. Number 22. Holy wars in quotations. Followers of different faiths or even the same faith killing each other in the name of their supposedly benevolent, loving, and merciful gods. That makes me feel dread. Number 23. The destruction of great works of art considered to be pornographic slash blasphemous and the persecution of the artists that makes me feel displeasure. Number 24, slavery condoned by religious texts. That makes me feel melancholy. Number 25, children traumatized by vivid stories of eternal burning and eternal torture to ensure that they'll be too frightened to even question religion. That makes me feel Mortification. Number 26. Terminal patients in constant agony who would end their lives if they didn't believe it would result in eternal torture. That makes me feel rage. Number 27, school boards having to spend time and money and resources on the fight to have evolution taught in the schools because of the controversy of creationism being taught in schools. That makes me feel wrath. Number 28, persecution of heretics slash scientists like Giordano Bruno Bernard de Stake and Galileo Galilei. That makes me feel sadness. Number 29. Blue laws forcing other businesses to stay closed or limit sales while churches can generate more revenue. That makes me feel gloom. Number 
Number 30, mayors, senators, and presidents voted into office not because they're right for their job, but because of their religious beliefs. I feel the need to express my disapproval on that. I have strong disapproval on that. Number 31, abuse of power, authority, and trust by religious leaders for financial gain or sexual abuse of followers and even children. even the adult followers. That makes me feel brokenhearted. Number 32, people accepting visual auditory hallucinations Unquestioningly, unquestioningly as divine, sometimes with fatal results, that makes me feel grief-stricken. <laughs> Number 33, discrimination against atheists and agnostics and secularists in general, such as laws stating they may not hold public office or testify in court or have parental custody of their offspring or in half a dozen countries around the world, laws requiring their execution. That makes me feel heavy hearted. Number 34, missionaries destroying slash converting smaller quote-unquote heathen religions and cultures. That makes me feel downcast. Number 35, hardship compounded by the guilt required to reconcile the idea of a fair God with reality. Why has God punished me? What have I done wrong? Don't I have enough faith? That makes me feel heartsick. Number 36, human achievements from skillful surgery to emergency landings attributed to gods instead of to the people actually responsible in the sense that God is put too high of a pedestal and humans never get credit for any of the good that they do. That makes me feel cast down. Number 37, Mother Teresa prolonging the agony of terminal patients and denying them pain relief so she can offer their suffering as a gift to her God. I feel cheerlessness about that. Number 38, tens of billions annually in the US alone spent to build, maintain, and staff houses of worship. I feel crestfallen about that. Number 39, grief and horror caused by the belief that dead friends and family members are tortured as punishment 
for disbelief. That makes me feel miserable. Number 40, natural disasters and other tragedies used to claim God is displeased and present demands to avoid similar events as like terrorism, but without having to plan or do anything, as well as using natural disasters and other tragedies to claim that God is displeased with those with sexually transmitted diseases, sexual infections, uh, those who are LGBTQI+, um, those who are engaging in non-monogamous sexual intercourse, and those who are black, those who are indigenous, those who are people of color, those who are immigrants and refugees and asylum seekers, those who are Muslims, you know, the Islamophobia and the xenophobia and those who are Democrats and progressives and liberals and socialists and so on and so forth. All that makes me feel devastated. Obviously, a list could be made of the benefits that religious Christianity provides, um, knowing that many believers would gladly present that list. Um, but that list would be shorter and would not successfully cancel out the deleterious ones listed above. This is simply not the work of a divine, all-powerful being. And it gets worse. So-called Christian values. Conservative Christians in the United States and presumably elsewhere are continually exhorting society to return to Christian values as if that is the gold standard by which we should all strive. Sometimes it makes you wonder if these people have ever read the Bible. Here's a sample of some of the values in quotation that could be gleaned from the New Testament. And remember, we're talking about religious Christian values here. Do not worry about the future or save money for retirement, but rather just live for the moment. I call that abuse. If someone steals from you, do not attempt to retrieve your property, but offer more to the thief. I call that degradation. Do not get married, that is, unless you cannot control your lust. I call that perversion. Do not waste time bearing your parents. Follow Jesus instead, and you never get to ever uh, express any um, memoriam or memorializing to any of your dead loved ones. I call that mistreatment. Disdain homosexuals and transgenders as they are a held they are held bound abominations. I call that depravity. 
Remove your eyes or hands if they cause you to sin. I call that pollution. Do not seek confirming evidence. Use faith instead. I call that injustice. Do not allow women to have authority over men. I call that wrong. Do not marry a divorced woman. I call that corruption. Do not protect yourself if someone hits you. Let them hit you again. I call that oppression. If you lose a lawsuit, give more than the settlement. I call that victimization. Beware of becoming wealthy. Give it all to the poor. I call that desecration. Do not wash your hands before a meal. I call that trifling. If someone is sick, exercise their demons. I call that harm. Hate your family, literally, and follow Jesus. I call that insulting. Be innocent like children. Do not seek worldly wisdom, meaning the world has no wisdom that can benefit anyone. I call that torture. Violently disrupt commercial enterprises at church for the sake of violently disrupting commercial enterprises at church. I call that autocratic. Do not mingle with non-believers. I call that totalitarianism. Seek not peace, but rather take up a sword. I call that defilement. Simulate cannibalism by eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood like literal cannibalism. I call that ridiculous. If you are a slave, mind your master. I call that foolishness. If you are a wife, obey your husband as he is the head of the family. Making the husband in this case... A tormentor. I call that torment. Do not use law courts for disputes. I call that ludicrous. Do not do physical exercise. Focus on the spiritual body. I call that absurd. Women must keep their hair covered and men must keep their hair short. I call that persecution. It can be argued without a whole lot of debate that each of these values or lessons from the New Testament are counterproductive and that very few Christians follow any of them. So the exhortation for us to return to religious Christian values is nothing more than a vapid platitude.
the other conservative Christian values I hate are women have to completely cover up like Muslim women. Women shouldn't be driving. You know, why does Saudi Arabia allow women to drive the very first time? Um, women are male lust machines and women can't use beauty treatments, beauty products, surgical procedures of any kind of the devil, therapy and psychiatry and counseling are occult practices. Um, Women have to wear excessive ultra-conservative clothing while men get to wear provocative clothing. And... Women can't be too curvy, but they also can't be curvy enough. And It's okay for a man to be shirtless, but a woman has to cover her breast. And a woman can't go to nail spas or beauty salons because that's going to cause men to be horn dogs and man whores, even though we actually like men being horn dogs and man whores but female horn dogs and female whores we target them with our hateful words and our hateful actions and we expect women to be unintelligent but they show us intelligence we have to crucify them with our speech and our deeds. Female assertiveness makes us uncomfortable and iffy and creeped out. And male domestic violence is always excusable. Male rape culture ain't all that bad. It ain't bad at all. It's just making sure people learn how to have sex correctly, blah, 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 blah. All of this fucked up ass bullshit is what they believe. There's no such thing as predators in the pulpit. There's no such thing as perpetrators in the pulpit. And... She was coming on to me. She was asking for it. Or he was coming on to me. He was asking for it. There's nothing wrong with statutory rape. Hey, grown adults can comment on the built statures of the children. Again, more fucked up ass bullshit. And then, hey, it wasn't that bad. 16, 17? How is that wrong? With a grown person wanting to boom chocolate boom chocolate boom, and the fucked up ass bullshit continues. They claim to be of law enforcement. Uh, they can't. They claim to love law enforcement, but they don't want law enforcement involved when it comes to the arrestings and prosecutions and indictments and charges that are related to sex crimes, violent crimes, and murderous crimes that result in sex abuse scandals and sex scandals.
and physical abuse scandals. And they feel like a woman not taking a man's bullshit. It's just bullshit in our sight. And again, the fucked up ass bullshit keeps continuing. So... Those are more reasons why I don't do religion. Because they love it when the oppressed are continuously abused, continuously wronged, continuously injured, continuously harmed, and continuously hurt. Senselessness is their 24-7 reality. The Bible writers presented God as faulty, flawed, defective, shoddy, unsound, unfit, second-rate, inferior, under par, slash below par, below standard, substandard, damaged, impaired, blemished, broken, cracked, torn, scratched, deformed, warped, shabby, inoperative, malfunctioning, dysfunctional, not functioning, not working, out of order, in a state of disrepair, not up to snuff, not up to scratch, 10th rate, crummy, lousy, duff, ropey, rubbish, not much cop, incomplete, abridged, not whole, not entire, partial, unfinished, half done, deficient, lacking, wanting, which means lacking a certain required or necessary quality, unpolished, unrefined, patchy, rough, crude, constructed in a rudimentary or makeshift way, disjointed, faltering, halting, Rudimentary involving limited basic principles, limited, non-fluent, and hesitant. And rudimentary in this case truly means relating to an immature, undeveloped, or basic form. The Bible writers presented God as not perfect, not complete, and not fluent. The Bible writers presented God as not perfect, faulty, or incomplete. They presented 
God isn't perfect. So, and I must be honest that um, the Bible writers presented the religious Jesus in ways that makes me feel brokenhearted, overwhelmed by grief or disappointment, heartbroken, grief-stricken, desolate, despairing, devastated, inconsolable, miserable, depressed, melancholy, wretched, sorrowful, sorrowing, mourning, forlorn, heavy-hearted, woeful, doleful, downcast, bowed down, cast down, crestfallen, woe-be-gone, morose, gloomy, glum, sad, cheerless, down, down in the mouth, shattered, choked, dolorous, and heartsick, not happy. And the Bible writes the depictions of the Holy Spirit makes me feel heavy laden too. Because all of these depictions of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all about the condoning of human rights abuses. Therefore, calling God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, according to the Bible writers, as champions of human rights abuses. And therefore, the human rights abuses misdepictions of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was of the Bible writers' doings. And I do want to say that I value the universal Christ consciousness without traditional religion. I noticed that my chosen family has told me that I'm able to preach without being preachy or church. In other words, I'm prophetic, but there's no biblical orthodoxy to my being prophetic. So, so let me tell you But the universal Christ consciousness without traditional religion is all about. It's about lovely behavior, lovely bearing, lovely deportment. Lovely comportment, lovely demeanor, lovely air, lovely presence, lovely carriage, lovely conduct, lovely manners, lovely actions, lovely attitudes, lovely way of life, lovely speech, lovely talk, lovely tone, lovely morals, lovely habits, lovely tact, lovely social graces, lovely correctness, lovely decorum, lovely form, 
on the inside. Lovely convention, lovely propriety, lovely taste, lovely manager, lovely routine, lovely practice, lovely what's done, lovely styles, lovely expressions, lovely performances, lovely codes, lovely roles, lovely observances, lovely courses, lovely guises, lovely acts, lovely deeds, lovely ethics, lovely ways, lovely fronts. And for those that do not know what propriety means, it means, in this case, the lovely state or lovely quality of lovely conforming to lovely conventionally accepted standards of lovely behavior or lovely morals. In other words, universal Christ consciousness without traditional religion means that you are of appropriateness, good manners, decency, politeness, um, healthy etiquette, uh, healthy protocols, and Probity, the quality of having strong moral principles, honesty and decency, and morally correct behavior or thinking. And that you are of courtesy, correctness, and civility. And that you grow in empathy and compassion 24-7 comes to yourself, others, especially those who are different than you, who live differently, love differently, think differently, feel differently, and do differently as you do. Those are all my thoughts on religion. And I'm going to be... Wait a minute, before I conclude my thoughts on religion. Another reason why I left the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden is because they have a same-sex prevention ministry trying to help people to be straight even though they are gay and ex-gay ministries are a hoax and the ex-gay movement is a hoax. It's all a bunch of homophobia. It's all a bunch of biphobia. It's a bunch of lesbophobia. It's a bunch of transphobia. And science and scholars debunk the ex-gay myth. If I would have known that that ministry existed before I joined, I never would have joined the First Baptist Church of Glenar, never at all. Now I'm done talking about religion. Hello, hello everyone. There's obviously more for me to say about sex. This is xbiz.com. Opinion piece. How to bring out more sensuality in your content. This is by Inka Winter, December 12, 2022. 
Inca says, I founded Foreplay Films and started making erotica by women for women. Out of my own desire to watch more sensual films that depict female pleasure in a way that I could identify with. Um, and I appreciate her perspective because um, women are often the most rejected and dejected when it comes to the, to a lot of mainstream pornography productions. Then it says my background then Inca says my background as a mindfulness practitioner and community counselor influences the psychological sociological approach I take to my films. Wow. I think that to 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 be able to utilize living in the present sexual moments as well as helping people to be more at ease with psychological self-care when it comes to the globe around them. That is highly honorable to me. I specialize in sensuality, chemistry, connection, autonomy, and diversity. By the way, those will be the traits that I display in my future adult industry sex life on camera. And those are the traits that are in my off-camera sex life as well. Inca says, but for this article, I will focus on sensuality. Sensual simply means of the senses, meaning sight, smell, sound, taste, and touch. So basically, eyes, nose, ears, tongue, and fingertips. That's what Inca is talking about. By that definition, it would seem that everything we do could be considered sensual. I would say for the most part. I can at least say for the most part. However, we live in a society where we aren't encouraged to pay attention to our senses and thus we remain unconscious of a large part of what we experience through them. Now, I've noticed that too. A lot of times when people think of sexual human interaction and non-sexual human interaction people think about quantity and aggressiveness but they don't think about acute stress reactions when it comes to sex and outside of sex they don't think of trauma stressors and trauma triggers in sex, outside of sex. They don't think of hypervigilance, survivor guilt, thematic elements, and hypervigilance when it, com when it comes to sex and outside of sex. They don't think of trauma reminders when it comes to sex and outside of sex.
And then it says, the biggest quote is, paying attention to your thoughts and sensations will help you to feel more centered and will make for a more authentic and pleasurable performance. Yes, you can perform without being performance oriented. And you can also do that when it comes to porn. Uh, Because if pornography comes natural to you in terms of um, globally displaying it, then it won't feel like work. It'll feel like a fun hobby that you get compensated for in terms of your naturality. Another aspect of sensuality is enjoyment or pleasure. The Oxford English Dictionary lists one definition of sensuality as the condition of being pleasing or fulfilling to the senses. I noticed that people don't think of overstimulation when it comes to sex and outside of sex. People don't think of psychological trauma in sex and outside of sex. People don't think about how some people who have had sex are survivors of rape trauma syndrome. They don't think about sexual performance anxiety. And they don't think about sexual narcissism, sexual sociopathy, sexual psychopathy, and sexual um, psychopathy. They don't think about being insensitive lovers. They don't think about people who have been um, victims of sex cults, sex scandals, sexual abuse scandals, infidelity scandals. And have you ever thought of what was sensuality like for these type of people? But since we so often try to cut ourselves off from feeling because of the pain, sadness, anxiety, or the discomfort experience, how can we stay open to experience deep pleasure? Hmm. A lot of people are too afraid to admit that sexual pain, sexual sadness, sexual anxiety, sexual discomfort are aspects of sex for some people. They don't want to talk about unethical sexual pleasure. And then it says, you know, even the sexual toxic positivity where you always make it seem like every time I have sex is, um, I'm, I'm always never having a problem. But, pe- but people say that they're experiencing sexual delusions and sexual illusions and other those are aspects that people like to talk about people try their best to run from the sexual gray areas of life uh, the sexual duplexities the sexual complexities uh, the sexual dualities the sexual dichotomies the sexual complications the sexual contradictions um 
the sexual tamperings, the sexual interpolations, the sexual interpolations, and um, the sexual errors, the sexual imperfections, and the sexual mismanagement and the sexual shades of gray meaning against sexual gray areas and you know people being sexually cryptic sexually vague and sexually um, ambiguous those are aspects of life that a lot of people love to run away from that says we can't close the door to uncomfortable feelings without closing the door on all feelings. And that is a rough truth that needed to be shared. And um, and I feel that it was satisfactory for that to happen. How can we find our way back to experiencing the full range of sensations and feelings? All right. So in sex, you have to experience the full range of sexual sensations, and sexual feelings. Um, and we shouldn't sexually cut ourselves off from any sexual feelings and sensations that we feel. There's sexual sights, sexual smells, sexual sounds, sexual taste, sexual touches. So people have to keep that in mind too. A great way to do this is through mindfulness, which requires a willingness to confront whatever you experience, whether pleasant or uncomfortable. Sexual mindfulness was sexually pleasant, sexually unpleasant, sexually comfortable, sexually uncomfortable. Those are things that people have to, in sexual mindfulness, people have to um, do that when it comes to sex as well. We often associate mindfulness with meditation, a Western understanding of which tends to focus on emptying your mind, letting go of negative feelings. Um... So some people sexually empty their minds and let it go of sexual negative feelings, but feelings are not negative. Um, it's all about how you react and respond to your feelings. And emptying your mind doesn't mean you don't ever think any thoughts. It just means that, okay, I empty my mind of thoughts that um, tell me that I am absolutely nothing. I'm a complete nothingness. It just means that your thoughts can be wholesome. Even when you think you experience a negative thought, how you respond to that thought is what is wholesome. Mindfulness is actually the opposite of that. Mindfulness is about paying attention to whatever it whatever it is regardless of whether the experience it is positive or negative mindfulness is not about choosing one over the other so so we have to be mindful of even our sexual reactions and sexual responses too by being present to whatever is making space for it and just allowing it to exist the conflict with the quote-unquote negative feeling will lessen it'll become easy to be with that feeling Again, feelings are not negative. It's about how you converse with those feelings. That feeling will become less intrusive and less uncomfortable. It's a bit counterintuitive. 
And it's okay to be sexually counterintuitive when need to be. It's okay to have sexual intuitions to be sexually intuitive too. Our mind thinks that by avoiding something, we can just quote unquote get rid of it. But the opposite is true. That which we resist persists. So instead of fighting it, we bring in the quality of surrender. So allow yourself to be sexually fully human and fully human in general. Allow yourself to be sexually fully humane and fully humane in general. That's what I get from this. Here are a few practical things that you can do to practice mindfulness in the context of sensuality. So it says, um, examine your beliefs about sexuality and performance. Since this article is about since, since this article is about sensuality and performance, start by examining your beliefs about sexuality itself. At what age did you learn about sexuality and from whom? I can say five years old, uh, organized crime figures, most notably its version of sex work, which is unethical sex work. It's not the ethical adult sex work. What was the message? For me, it was, well, it's okay to sexually torment, sexually torture yourself and others. What did your parents and teachers tell you about sexuality? The teachers gave me comprehensive sexuality education. My parents gave me the conservative theology view on sex and sexuality. Did you grow up with religious beliefs about sexuality? I did. I reject that now, but I did. How did you see gender roles in general and in sexuality? Well, I've always been into gender sexual diversity. And I've never had a problem with people having fondness for other people. And that will always, and those truths will always be true of my life. Now, and, and, you know, just forever, just forever. What do you believe about performance? Well, when we're being true to ourselves, then our bodily movements are good because we have internal movements together. Mm. For whom do you perform? For yourself or the viewer? Um, I perform for whoever I'm in it with and the right people who love what I do. That's it. These questions will help you explore the mental framework which your sexuality performance will take place. And again, I already answered those questions. Mindfulness body scan. You can find a lot of guided body scans on apps like the UCLA Mindful app, Insight Timer, Calm. Through body scans, you can learn to play to pay closer attention to the sensations in your body. Oh, so in sex, we can body scan each other. Mmm, mindfully speaking. This will help you to be more in tune with the sensations you're experiencing in the moments and also help you stay connected with your body when you're performing. Yes, no bodily disconnections, no heart disconnections, no soul disconnections, no mind disconnections, no memories disconnections. It will help you. It will help ground you in case you're getting in your head about your performance. Help you focus on your experience instead of the camera. So basically, be your true self and focus on the people who love that, and focus on your partners who are into you for who you are. And looks as a ice on the cake. And that's really all the fuck that matters. Focusing on touch. This can be done when you're alone or while you're performing. We have some time, maybe before going to bed or right after waking up. Take a few minutes and lightly run your fingers along your arm. Uh, 
I am sent. I am sexually sensual with myself each and every day. I massage myself and I caress myself proudly. Masturbation is just a bonus, but I basically fully explore my own body with my bare hands each and every day. Then it says, while doing that, pay attention to sensations on your arm as well as in your fingers. Notice how it feels to touch and how it feels to be touched. You could do the same thing during a performance with a partner. Pay attention to how it feels to give touch and how your body feels receiving touch. This is another way to stay present to the experience and to your body while also being in tune with your partners. So basically, touching heads, um, masterful tongue, and expertise, fingers, and uh, well-seasoned genitalia usage, and even the swiftness of the toes and the in-shapeness of my feet, as well as my poetic verbiage, including my inquisitive eyes, also helpful to myself and my partners and the viewers of mine as well. And it says, addressing past trauma and inner conflicts. Many of us have had, have a history of trauma or are dealing with anxiety or have other things that make it hard to stay present to sensation or feelings. I see it as a badge of honor to go to therapy or find a support group where we can talk about our experience, reflect on it. I've already done that. And I encourage other people to do the same because you can give yourself a a positive sexual history that you couldn't when you were a child. But as an adult, damn sure as hell can do it now. And that's what the fuck I'm doing. I see it as a badge of honor to go to therapy or find a support group when we can talk about our experience, reflect on it, be listened to, and see validation for the pain we're experiencing. I think addressing the issues in our lives is a prerequisite to opening up to feeling and sensuality. Yes. When you spring clean, that's what addressing the trauma means. It's not sweeping on the rug, it's spring cleaning. That means that my sexual personality is flushing out all the sexual hurts, all all the negative sexual habits, all the awful sexual hangups and my sexual person is saying okay I'm gonna go back to my original state and then I won't stop there I'm gonna be better than I was in the original state before I Antonio was raped mm. and summary mindfulness aims at enabling to create space for your thoughts and emotions so there's enough room to notice the physical sensations of pleasure and stay connected with yourself and your partners summary, mindfulness aims at enabling you to create space for your thoughts and emotions so there's enough room to notice the physical sensations of pleasure. 
And I say connect with yourself and your partner and partners for non-monogamous folks. So that makes me think about the reason why I read it again is because that that makes me think about the fact that sex should not be rushed, hurried, and sex should not feel or even be catastrophic or calamitous. Um, Sex should be well-rounded, well-adjusted, well-unified, and well-balanced. Because sex, you know, truly healthy, ethical sex partners are well-rounded, well-balanced, well-adjusted, well-unified sex partners. A preoccupied mind is a disengaged mind. That's true. If I'm so into the chores I got to do or the bills I got to pay, then I'm detached from the sex and my sex partner. I'm detached from myself and I'm detached from myself myself as my own sex partner. Mm. So that self-disengagement, others' disengagement, and another person disengagement all wrapped up in one simultaneously. Mindfulness will also enable you to notice your own boundaries more and be able to communicate them to a partner. So sense your limits and utter them wisely to the to the human life form that you are beholding. Paying attention to your thoughts and your sensations will help you to feel more centered and will make for a more authentic and pleasurable performance. So once I recognize that in my sex life, my I will be held accountable even for my sexual attitudes. I'll be held sexually accountable for my attitudes. I'll be held sexually accountable for my sexual attitudes. So I have to so sexual self, sexual self-control is inspired by sexual thought control. So I need well sexual self-control because of ultimately I need well sexual thought control. That's listening. If you can if you can sit down with a partner, take turns with one person talking, the other just listening. When you're listening, pay attention to any judgments that come up for you while the other person is talking. Watch your impulse to respond to them with something you might want to say. Stay with your breath while you listen to them and hold space for what they are saying. You can even put one hand on the center of your chest, your heart chakra. If you want to try this by yourself, you could choose a podcast. I recommend Tonio Time Daily. Haha, <laughs> this one. Or maybe a talk show and just focus on what comes up for you while you're listening. Then take this quality of listening to your performance with a partner. Hey, y'all can listen to my podcast while y'all are sexual intercoursing. I'd highly appreciate it. It will help you to feel more in tune with your partner, more open to what they're communicating to you, more able to respond in an open manner. Mm. So these are all the other parts of sex that people really need to understand. So sex requires 
victorious pleasure, victorious happiness, victorious delight, victorious joy, victorious gladness, victorious rapture, victorious glee, victorious satisfaction, victorious gratification, victorious fulfillment, victorious contentment, victorious contentedness, victorious enjoyment, victorious amusement, victorious delectation, and a victorious feeling of victorious satisfaction and enjoyment, victorious pleasure. Victorious entertainment, victorious business. We can't leave out the adult industry again. So now I want to wrap up with the organized crime crime part. So I remember um, being in that world where I had a reputation, unwarranted, of course, of being a fearsome person. And also in this sense that rapists and pedophiles were the most scared of me. Because when it came to... uh, victims of pedophilia and rape it was understood that Antonio has a protecting human beings reputation when I was five I was quite the protector because I had to be it wasn't something I asked for it wasn't something I planned it was something that I was thrusted into because in organized crime people don't have true protection and I'm talking about um direct and indirect victims of organized crime that are not criminals in and of themselves. And I'm talking about um, the human oppressed persons. Um, so victims of pedophilia and rape would come to me and tell me what happened to them. I would go find the rapists and pedophiles sometimes driving a car or sometimes walking on foot or running on foot. I would see them as soon as I would see them, I'd take off on one side and I would beat them all down to a bloody pulp. I would beat them every inch of their life. And the victims would see because they would accompany me because they wanted to help me find the perpetrators and predators so they can get physically dealt with. And the victim would be so inspired by my hand work and footwork on those monsters and demons that they would call the police and the monsters and the demons served decades worth of time in penitentiaries. The same thing happened to those who committed disability hate crimes, uh, LGBTQI plus hate crimes, um, hate crimes against the elderly, hate crimes against the poor, the mentally ill and the homeless, 
and hate crimes against women and girls, hate crimes against children, hate crimes against black and people of color. And what that means is all the victims of all these hate crimes would come to me and I would pursue all of these criminals uh, driving a car um, on foot, whether walking or running, as soon as I see them, because all these victims of hate crimes would accompany me to go find the perpetrators and predators, and I would go after them. And as soon as I would see them, I'd take off on them, and I would beat all the rest of these criminals to every inch of their life, bloody pulps, and all the victims, all these hate crimes would be so inspired by what I did, they would call the police, and all these other perpetrators and predators would serve decades worth of prison time as well because they were serial hate criminals. That that means they were committing hate crimes on a spree about it. And I do remember how just being in that organized crime world there were people who were on who were suffering from substance use disorder who would pimp their children prostitute their children and exchange their children for drugs alcohol tobacco smoking products with the lighters and cash or jewelry or luxurious clothing, luxurious cars, luxurious homes, or survival sex. That That's what I saw when it came to the crippling of the soul effects of addiction. And um, just being in that world, I I witnessed how organized crime is a cult. Cult of personality, meaning organized crime figures having the God complex, Messiah complex is what I witnessed. Um, That world is... um, That world also for me was I remember the excessive compliments I remember the grooming of the gifts I remember the I remember the love bombing, the triangulations, the devaluing. I remember them feeling like challenged. Like basically if you engage in intellectual virtues or spoke your mind, it felt like, ugh, you're interacting with people outside of what we're doing and talking to people outside of what we're doing and they're telling you how wrong we are, they would go ballistic. 
Um, I do remember with that world. That. There were times where I would get into fights with people. Organized crime figures, males, men. Um, It's hard to call them men. I would just say they were in male bodies, but but they're not men, you know. Um, They just look like, physically look like men, but there's nothing about that says men. Um, That's insulting to good men. That's why I said that. So there were times where I told y'all about the fights. I would get into the street fights. Well, the bodyguards, the men killers and women killers, the women killers killing the most, um, when they would kill together or kill at the same time, or they would kill at the same time while physically being together or just separately the women were the biggest killers so there were times where I remember usually the the bodyguards were nearby so I used to get into a lot of street fights and I remember being trafficked and pimped and prostituted once the killers came all of that stopped once the killers came The street fights were over. And I remember once the killers came, the traffickers were gone. And there were, you know, a couple of times where I was alone and I got raped, but the killers killed them. And after a while... I was no longer allowed by the killers to roam around by myself anymore. So, after that rape was over, I everywhere I went, they were there. So, imagine a five-year-old walking the streets with a hundred demons and men bodies and demons and women's bodies or imagine a large carpool of a hundred people 50 women 50 men and it looks like we're going to a funeral procession it looks like we're going to a cremation service it looks like we're going to a burial it looks like we're going to a um, funeral service. That's how it all looked when we they would take me places or they would go for a walk and that's how all that happened. So it was normal for me to um, for organized crime figure dudes to try to war to get into a war of words or their fists or try to pull out their weapon and try to shoot at me, but I was so good at dodging, and I'm not glamorizing this, but I was so good at dodging it that, you know, there were times where before the killers came, I would have criminal sympathizers who would see them, you know, shooting at me, trying to shoot at me, and 
war words and trying to fight me and I'm ducking and dodging under cars in the alley behind dumpsters behind buildings you know behind establishments and I was doing the matrix and the criminal sympathizers would always shoot those guys dead um so I had to rely on criminal sympathizers for my protection and all of this is worthy of grief, um, worthy of dismay, um, worthy of heart aching, heart breaking, of course. Um, but when the killers came, you couldn't do a war of words on me anymore. You couldn't swing on me or shoot at me or shoot me anymore. And I never dodged a bullet anymore. And once the killers came, it was understood. The traffickers decided to leave me alone. That was another way I got out of child sex tourism and uh, all the slavery I told you about um, and child prostitution. Got getting out of the child brothels and the child sex rings and adult sex rings. Because once the killers came, the killers... They did not like pedophiles. If you were committing sex crimes, they would, they hated you and despised you so much that if they heard about it, they would find traffickers, find child traffickers, and kill them. I've seen them do it. I've seen them go, you know what? So and so is touching a little boy. This, you know, the motherfucker dead. That, those are the exact, their exact words. They would find the traffickers. They would find the pimps. I'm talking about trafficking pimps. They would find the rapists, the pedophiles, the sexual assaulters. Um, they would find molesters. They didn't even like adult molesters. It's just anybody doing sex crimes... That was the one crime... That was the only set of crimes they hated it. Any, They hated sex crimes. They didn't care if it happened to adults or children. Children, they killed the most when it came to child sex criminals. Uh, you know, those demons in adult bodies, sex criming kids against their will. They killed them more than they killed the adult sex criminals, you know demons and adult bodies sex criming other adults they that some criminals have a hatred of certain crimes and usually sex crimes is pretty much the crimes that they despise they they don't mind like you getting robbed or you know you getting killed but you you, you you doing sexual violence, sexual bullying? Oh, you gots to die. We're not going to even go toe-to-toe physically and fight. You're going to get sniped down. You're going to get gunned down. And that's what happened. I would see them kill sex criminals. I would see them kill registered and unregistered sex offenders. They would go on a sex offender killing spree. I saw them do it. And um, honor rapes. Oh, you was asking 
for community killing, um, meaning the men killers and the women killers. And so the women, men killers, feel like, okay, you want to do honor rapes? We'll do honor killings of those who do honor rapes. And that's what happened. So once the killers came, they even pursued the rest of the traffickers and pimps who prostituted me, the men and the women. And the rest that they could find, they killed them. Gunplay, gun violence. And there were times where criminal sympathizers would tell the killers, hey, I remember so-and-so lives this way, so-and-so does their dirt over here. This is what they said to Antonio, did to Antonio. So pretty much they would pursue people who either raped me or yelled at me or cussed me out or called me names or was laying hands on me and fighting me or or shooting at me or shooting me or just disrespecting me in any any way whether in when it came to words, when it came to actions and behavior and the killers started killing those people. Especially the women killers. They were like, oh you said what to our son? So I saw that. So that's why I started having, you know, their time I started having more of a fearsome reputation because with these women, I do remember there were people who would tell the women killers, they would tell the men killers, but they would tell the women killers the most about hey, I heard so-and-so's trying to, you know, kill Antonio, or or I heard so-and-so was trying to plot on Antonio when it came, you know, when it came to laying of the hands or, or weapons, or I heard so-and-so um, tried to turn Antonio out, um, meaning rape, and, you know, they would talk about pa- things that happened in the past in terms of what happened to me. Like, every disrespectful thing I ever told you about that happened to me, in terms of what people would have me do, or, you know, they would, they, I remember the killers went after certain drug lords, uh, certain members of the mafia, certain members of the Mexican drug cartel, certain members of the street crews and the street gangs of DC, both DC, and, you know, shooting dice, um, people in the bookmark, bookmaking, bookkeeping, uh, gambling worlds because some of them um, were trying to target me because they felt like I was getting too much shine and, you know, more people, were, more criminals were scared of me than them. And they didn't like that. They started getting jealous and envious. So the killers killed all those dudes. And I saw it happen. Um, so that's why everywhere I went, they were there. 
and that caused my fears for reputation skyrocket even more because it's like these killers kill without permission. They'll hear things that the streets have said to them about what truly happened to me and kill or sometimes they'll were braggadocious about what they were doing which made people falsely think that I was ordering murders and ordering violence, ordering robberies because they did all those robberies on their own volition. They did all their physical violence and gun violence all on their own. They was beating people up for me and killing people for me and uh, robbing people. They would do all those things out of their own free will. I never told them to do it. And then they would go, oh, well, you know, we're doing this in favor of Antonio. The dudes would say Antonio's my son or, you know, Antonio's my, 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 Antonio's my, my, my son, he's my shorty, my son. And the women would say, well, you know, this is our son, this is our, this is our little man, right? I'm not saying right as in agree, right as in hope you're listening because all this is pure evil. So that's the full story in organized crime. It's, it, organized crime is a cult, therefore I'm organized crime survivor.